You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the lives of faithful Old Testament believers. We're calling By Faith. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. So I wonder if you've ever had that moment where you felt completely lost. I had one of those moments. Now, if you've been around, you may have heard me joke about the fact that I earned a nickname years ago called City Boy on this staff because I know nothing about farming, ranching, uh, agricultural animals. I don't know any of that stuff. I will tell you, I grew up going to a camp where I got to ride horses for two weeks. I will tell you that I was uh, the 1982-1983 poles champion and barrels racing champion at King's Era Ranch. Pretty big deal. I'm pretty proud of that right? Not bad for city boy. But I had this moment where I was terrified. I got lost. Uh, Our student ministry, I was in middle school, went on a horseback riding trip. And so we're out, we're out in these grasslands. I mean, it's a huge expanse of land. I have no idea uh, where this place was still in reality on a map. I got no idea where it was. But our whole youth group went out there. We're all riding horses, and they weren't completely foreign to me, but I wasn't completely at home on them either. And whatever happened, and I really don't remember what happened, I got separated from everybody. I mean, everybody. I don't even know how that happens. I mean, I was a student pastor. You can't lose kids. It's like rule number one of student ministry. So I'm on this horse, and I've got no idea where I am. And so I'm looking out there. I'm looking around, and there's nobody. And I'm yelling, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, nothing. And I realize all of a sudden, I have all these emotions coming over me. I'm scared. I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable. I feel really small, because it's like nobody can hear it. I can't find anything, anybody. There's no markers. I have no idea where I am. And then you can imagine what starts coming to your mind. I, how am I going to get home? I mean, what happens? I just live out my days out here on the wilderness somewhere in Louisiana on my horse? You know, what are we going to do? And then, for whatever reason, the horse decided to take off running, which pole racing champion was gone. This was a new Lance, and he's terrified. And so in that, I did what you're not supposed to do. I dropped the reins and grabbed the saddle horn, Right? And we're just running like crazy. And all of a sudden, he decides to run through some brush and some trees, and all of a sudden, the branches are hitting me in the face. And I, eventually, I, you know, somebody asked, after the first service said, you didn't tell us the end of the story. Somehow, I was found. I don't remember that part of the story either. But what I do remember is this, running through those trees and all those branches hitting me in the face. And when I got to wherever we were going, all of a sudden, I've got my faces cut up. I mean, it, my face was shredded. And I realized that was a terrifying experience. I do not like feeling small, exposed, vulnerable, lost. I'm embarrassed. I've got all these things in me because I really like to know where I'm going. I like to have a plan. I like to know at least generally what the deal is because when all that's gone, all the anxieties of life begin to creep in on me. We're covering this by faith chapter out of Hebrews chapter 11. 
And we've got a story today that if the Lord called me to this kind of moment, it would be terrifying. Now, I want to start with the idea that Hebrews 11 shares with us a lot of narrative stories. These are real Bible accounts. These aren't mythical. They're not fables to teach us some moral to a story. These are real people. And they have flesh and blood like you and me. Their struggles are like struggles you and I would have. And yet they exercise their faith. We defined faith a few weeks ago as the believing that God will do exactly what he says he's going to do. So when we come to this chapter, we're looking at another narrative today, the story of Abraham and Sarah, an actual account of two people. So I'd encourage you to turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. As we've been doing, we'll begin in Hebrews chapter 11, then we're going to go back uh, and look at this account, the narrative, uh, as it's recorded for us in Genesis 12 and Genesis 18. But we'll begin with what the author of Hebrews offers us when he writes in chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was out to receive, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Since she, was consider- since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, as we read this, I want you to think with me, if you've ever had a prompting of the Spirit that you felt like God was saying, hey, I want you to take this step of faith and I want you to follow me in this. In that moment, think with me about how you and I might reconcile that, that you and I start thinking, okay, Lord, what do you have? Let me ponder this. You know, I don't know. Let me talk to some people. Let me pray about it. Let me consult the Scriptures. Maybe, maybe we just give that lip service, like, oh, I don't want to put the Lord God to the test, so let me just wait and see if He really continues to show me this. But Abraham, I, I want to call attention to Abraham, and it's probably why he's at least one reason why he's recorded in this account, is his heart before the Lord to trust the Lord in what the Lord said. And we see it when we read, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. And let's begin with the idea is that verb there is, talk, is a participle. It's talking about how fast Abraham obeyed, that Abraham obeyed as he was being called. Now, if you think with me about what that looks like, that you and I would have this sense that the Lord is good, that the Lord calls me to do something, and then I step out and I just go do it. I start obeying him as he's telling me. Now, I'm going to tell you that when I plan a trip, I want to figure out where we're going. I'll put it into the GPS. In the olden days, right, we'd look at maps, we'd figure out exits, where we're going to stop, we'd do all those things. But Abraham doesn't even wait for the full instructions, As he's being called, he starts to obey, and he starts to take these bold steps of faith, which really is the essence of faith, right? Is that we would just take God at his word and what he said. F.F. Bruce is a New Testament scholar, and I think he captures it really well for me. Even when he, Abraham, received the promise of the inheritance, it was the promise that he received, not the visible possession of the land. Now, 
we just read that account, and we know that this promise is coming. There's going to be an inheritance. He doesn't have it yet. He doesn't know where he's going yet. God didn't give him all the details. God just said, hey, I'm calling you out. And Abraham, while that moment's happening, packs up his stuff and says, I'm on my way. Because the reality of this is, to Abraham, the promise of God was as substantial as the realization. Now, think with me. If faith is the belief that God will do what he says he's going to do, and we've been using these two words a lot over the course of this year, orthodoxy, that we would have a right belief or a right way to think, and orthopraxy is that we would have a right action, a right practice of those things. So when God says to Abraham, I want you to go, then Abraham, if he starts thinking, okay, God is omniscient, he knows everything. God is omnipresent, he's with me wherever I go. God is omnipotent, he's all powerful. Whatever comes my way will be fine. He's the perfection of love. He is in this to care for what's best for me. Now, if we have a right belief and God says, I want you to go, then the right practice is we go because the promise of God is as substantial as actually having the realization of it. There was nothing visible. There wasn't anything for him to look at yet and say, okay, I see it. I know where I'm going. Think with me about how often you and I might think, if I could just see it, then I would believe it. I've shared this with y'all before. I have red-green color blindness. My eyes play tricks on me all the time. I'll come home from the store. I got to where I really don't even like to shop without somebody that I trust because I come home with a shirt and Ellen's like, that's an interesting shirt. I'm like, really? She goes, you don't have anything that color. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I have a lot. She goes, what color do you think it is? I'm like, what color do you think it is? She said, I know what color it is. You don't know what color it is. What do you think it is? I'm like, I thought it was this. And she goes, nope. (laughs) That's going back to the store. How often you and I might think, you know what? If I could just see the plan, God, If I could just see the plan, I think I'd be okay with it. See, the deeper question is, do we trust the God who's omniscient, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent, that is loving and righteous and unchanging? Because if we've got the right set of beliefs, when God says, I want you to go, and we know that this is about his love for us, his growth in us, that he's with us, that he will make it happen, and he knows all things, then of course we just pick up and go which is exactly what Abraham did in this moment. It's all of a sudden, he picked up and went. And isn't that the essence of faith? As he says, I'm going to take you at your word, God, and I'm willing to step out there. And look at these other ways he described it. He went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land. Yes, he was in a foreign land because this place is not our home. But we see the essence of faith when we go into that because now he is a stranger He's the alien, you want to put the Christian word to it? He's a pilgrim, and he's on this journey to figure out how to walk with the Lord and to watch the Lord do a great work, which is what he's doing. All of a sudden, these promise that he's looking into, and by the way, tents? God, this is what your plan was, that I would go and I would live in a tent? This was the good plan? But he says, you know what? He's doing it. And then the hope, right, is he's looking forward to a a city, who has a foundation, whose designer and builder is God. He's all in. He is all in in walking with the Lord. And then we get Sarah. Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
He made a promise. That's enough. I will live my life based on the promises he makes. And so off he goes. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, we're born descendants. And so we see that whole story starting to play out. Let's look at the story. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, if you would. So where we see the, the calling of this, we're going to see some of what, uh, what the author of Hebrews just offered us about uh, God changes their name. So Abram is Abraham, Sarai is Sarah. So same people, but in a couple of these passages, we're going to have different names for them based on that. But if you look down with me at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, think with me about what that looks like, is he's to leave the world that he knows. He's to leave the world where he knows how to make things happen. He's to leave the world where he's got connections. He's to leave a world where he has relationships and a network of support. If you've ever moved to a new area, you know how scary that can be. It can have the same feeling of being lost that I had out in the grasslands that day. I don't know how to do anything. I feel small, like nobody knows I'm here. And he looks at him and says, here's who you're leaving. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's house. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Well, Lord, how do I put in the coordinates? Well, I want you to just start walking. Now think with me about how real that feels. Because we can look back and say, well, this is a great fact. It's not a fable. These are real people. And this is their story of faith about how they had to trust God and was God going to come through. Now, the end of the story is God, of course, comes through. But what that looks like is let's not make these people superhuman where they don't understand the realities of what we face in this life. Because all of a sudden, I want you to leave everything behind that you know. Now, if you process that, you and I might say, what a scary proposition. How do we move into that? Now, there's a command and there's a promise both in that first verse. You see the command? I want you to go. You see the promise? I will show you. See, faith looks up and says, you know what? That's enough for me. I'm going ahead and doing it at that level. Now, I don't know that that was Abraham's plan. Now, I want you to think with me about what plans you've made. And if you've made plans, do you have plans that you're excited about? Because if you have plans that you're excited about, what happens the moment that you sense God step in and change your plans? Because this is a new calling for him. I mean, he didn't know this was coming. He was living his life, making plans for whatever was coming his way. I'm guessing he liked his plan. And God says, I got a new plan for you. How do you respond when God changes your plan? What does it look like in that moment where you sense God changing things? And what happens in that moment? Is it really your plan against God's plan? Do you think your plan is better than God's plan? Remember, this is the God. This is orthodoxy. He's perfect. He's omniscient. We're not. He's omnipotent. We're not. He's omnipresent. We're not. Does our plan really stand a chance against God's plan? And when God changes our plan, if you and I are really honest and we believe those things to be true about him, wouldn't we say, thank you, Lord, for changing my plan because I was on a bad path because it's a path you don't, you're not calling me to? right? So let's get back to this so we can finish seeing what's going. So the Lord said to Abram, I want you to go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
Then verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. First command, I want you to leave and go. Second, I will show you. Here's the second command. I want you to be a blessing. And the way the translation reads, it says, so that you will be a blessing. It's really stronger than that. It's the Lord saying, I want you to go be a blessing. And you and I, with limited resources, time, talents, treasures, we've got limited resources. The Lord said, I want you to go and be a blessing. And then he says this, and I will bless you. So, be generous with your time, talents, and treasures. Invest your life in relationships, giving to others, being good to the community, the people around you. And if you're thinking, but what happens when I exhaust my resources? The Lord says, you be a blessing and I will bless you. And then he gives you some other things. I mean, so if you're keeping score, here's where we go, is that in the promises of this, God said to Abraham, I will show you the land. So you can go. Number two, I will make you a great nation. This little starting with you and your wife is going to grow into a great nation. I'm going to do this. And matter of fact, let's go a step further. Not only are you going to do that, I'm going to bless you as you go. You're going to sense the blessings of my life, of what I give you in your life. I'm at work in you. And I'm going to make your name great. You are going to be of great renown because of all that I'm going to do in you and through you as you go. And you could say, but how is the world going to receive me? And I, the Lord gave, I think, two statements to that. Number one would be this, I will bless those who bless you. Now, think with me. If you've ever had a relationship that you realize, hey, when, we, when I do good to this person, I receive good back, of course you think, let me be good and bless that person. Here's the promise. Abraham, people are going to know that I'm with you. So when they bless you, I'm going to bless them too. So of course people are going to be good to you. But know this, if somebody's tempted not to be good to you, then know this. If they curse you, I'm going to curse them. So that's how I'm got, I've got your back, Abraham. People that are good to you, they will receive blessings. People are harsh to you, they will receive the harshness from me. But in the end, Abraham, don't miss this, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Whatever plan Abraham had, there's God's plan, there's Abraham's plan. It's the plan Abraham's going to follow. God intervenes and says, hey, we got a new plan. We're hitting reset on that. We're going in a different direction. And you could say, can you give me any heads up? Can you tell me where we're going? He says, I'm not going to tell you where we're going, but I'm going to tell you what life's going to be like. I'm going to give you land. I will give you a great lineage. I will give you blessing. I will look after you. I will take care of you. I will protect you from the world around you. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. I think Abraham says, all right, I'm all in. As he's being called, he's already obeying. And off he goes. And what an incredible scene of what's happening. Look with me down at verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent, set out to go to the land of Canaan. Off they went. 
Off they went. Our little family, our tribe, the things we have, pack it all up. We're on the move. I want to call attention to something. Do you see how old he is? 75 years old. 75. Abraham been around the block a few times, figured out how to make life work. He's got a plan. Now he's just executing the plan. He's going to live out his plan. Everything's going to be great. And God says at 75, not so fast. We got a new plan. Now, in our Western culture, right, by now we're thinking retirement. We're thinking, let's slow down. Let's just enjoy our days. We've lived the life we're going to live. We're just going to slow down and we're just going to stay on the homestead, right? And there's something that is really significant that, that I'm grateful for that, um, that I've seen played out time and again at Grace Church is the fact that we can retire vocationally. We do not retire relationally right? You can retire from your vocation. You can retire from the schedule. You can uh, retire from the rat race or whatever you want to call it. But you know what we don't ever retire from? We don't ever retire from relationships. First and foremost with the Lord, we do not retire from relationships with our families, our spouses, our connected ones, the church, the body of believers. We don't retire from those things. Because God's called us that as long as there's breath in our lungs, he still is growing us, maturing us, discipling us, that we might be more of the men and women that he calls us to be. So Abraham looks up, he's 75, let let me just play out the clock, everything's good. God said, that's not the way I work. I want to put you in a new position where you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to grow with me. You're going to have to continue to confront things that you might be more of the man that I'm calling you to be. So he doesn't retire. He starts a new chapter. And I'm so grateful because when I got to Grace Church back in 98 and I started hearing stories like that, and in Grace Church terms, we would use phrases like this. We want to, we, when we die, we want to be in the saddle. We don't retire from serving the Lord. And we have such a great history and lineage of that. I think about the Herb and June Maulers serving the Lord. I think about the elders at our church who we've lost who are still faithfully serving the church, the Gary Wassums and the Harry Allisons. I think about Tom Rogers who was scheduled to preach on a Sunday morning and the sermon was ready and printed out and on his desk on a Saturday when, when the Lord called him home. I think about uh, the Linda Thorntons that in 1972 started teaching a Bible study every other week on Tuesdays, and she taught that Bible study until a couple of years ago. Because we can retire vocationally. We do not retire relationally. We keep growing until the Lord calls us home. That's our calling. Talk with Josh Fernberg about the ministry of some older ladies who serve in our nursery and children's ministry that are caring for children right now so that many of you can be in this room and know that your children are cared for or during the week or during community groups. Derek this morning was talking about the fact that we need folks who are ser- to serve in the, co- in the coffee ministry. If you're looking around and saying, I kind of have retired even from serving the Lord, and you're saying, I don't even know where to begin, call Derek. He would love to connect you. And if you're like, I don't know what I can do, but I wake up really early on Sunday mornings, we'd say, hey, come make coffee. I don't even drink coffee. You know the benefit I get from other people drinking coffee? They seem to be a little bit more awake, and they seem to be a little bit cheerier, right? Because if you're a coffee drinker and you don't have it, you know what it's like. We do not retire 
from relationships with the Lord or anybody else. We keep serving the Lord because the Lord keeps growing us in that. So what happens in this story? Turn over to Genesis chapter 18, if you would. There's three promises. You're going to have land, you're going to have a lineage, and you're going to have material blessings. Now, if you think with me, even as we sit here right now, which one of those would be the hardest to believe if you're struggling? As you might say, okay, land, I will find somewhere to live. If you think material blessings, you think, all right, I'm just going to work hard. I will do what I can do, and the Lord will provide. I'm going to work really hard. I have a good work ethic. I'll figure something out. You know the one that, that maybe takes the most faith? Is if you're struggling with infertility or you're past the age of reproduction for both the man and the woman, that we find ourselves in position. Exactly how can you deal with that one? Well, here we go. Genesis chapter 18. For a little bit of context, I want to read verses 1 and 2. And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks, as Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. So three people show up. Abraham sitting in the doorway, it's hot. He's out there by himself, and he sees three figures approach him. We know that two of them are angels. We know one of them is the Lord. And so all of a sudden, does Abraham know who they are? I think he definitely knows who they are because he gets up, runs, and bows. I think he understands exactly who they are. And so all of a sudden, we've got this moment, right? So there we go. Look down with me, if you would, at verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent, okay? Abraham, doorway, runs out, meets him, bow. They say to him, where is Sarah? And he says, she's back there. She's back in the tent, okay? And he said, the Lord said, excuse me, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. That's the third promise. We've got land, we've got blessing, but this son thing is a problem. I'm going to be back about this time next year, she's going to have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, I don't think Abraham probably knew she was listening. He was in the door. He took off. She's behind him. She overhears the whole interaction. I will surely return to you about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening. Verse 11. Now, Abraham, now we get a little parenthetical note. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Funny, she's laughing to herself. I don't think Abraham knows she's laughing. It's not audible. She's laughing inside. Abraham, I don't think, has any idea of what's going on. And she's guided by logic, right? I mean, I like logic. I like being rational. I understand what she's saying. We're too old. We're past those years. God's kind of on the hook. He said we would have land and blessing, okay. He said we'd have seed. I'm too old. Abraham's too old. God, you're kind of on the hook. And God shows up and says, this time next year, you're going to have a kid? And she, can you imagine the look on her face? 
inaudible, but okay. So Sarah laughed herself, saying, this is what's going to happen, verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now imagine Abraham in that moment. Why is she laughing? He was like, who? Who's laughing? Right? Why is Sarah laughing? Sarah, you're, you know, what a moment that is. Why is she laughing? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now, I am a fan of Sarah. The reality is, is I feel her pain in this. I feel her doubt. I identify with her. I came across this quote from Tony Evans a couple of years ago when he suddenly lost his wife, when he said this, you have to believe that God knows what he's doing when he's not doing what you want him to do. Now, let that set in a little bit. If we've got right beliefs and we know who he is and what he's doing and his omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence and his love, and he's not doing what I want him to do, do I trust that he's doing the right thing or do I think he's doing the wrong thing because he's not on the train with me? Which is why I think when Dr. Evans says this, he captures something that I need to hear, maybe you need to hear it too. When God's not doing what I want him to do, does that mean he's wrong? Or does it mean he's right and I've got the opportunity to jump on board with him? because I think that's what Dr. Evans is trying to tell us. So we get this moment, right, where we get this question. The Lord said, why did she laugh when I said that? And then he asked this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to keep this up here for a little bit. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, if we're being really honest, I think Sarah would say, yeah, Probably so. It's past the point. I'm too old, he's too old. Yes, it's too hard for the Lord. But isn't that the essence of faith? That if we're going to have right beliefs, and we have right beliefs, if we have right beliefs, let me ask you a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Which is why we've got to begin with that question, because that question forces us to get out of our out of our, our emotions and get us back to our, our soul and our mind that the Lord has replaced and given us this new heart that His law is written upon, that you and I have to say, wait a minute, let me ask that Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Well, what's He going to do, Sarah? And I think Sarah would say, I don't know. I don't know, but the question is there. Now, I got to tell you, have you ever had that moment of disbelief, disillusionment, anxiety, depression, struggle, whatever it is, where you think, this isn't working out, this just isn't it? And what we needed was either to ask ourselves the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Or where Sarah found herself, we need somebody around us leaning in and saying, hey, what do you know about our God? Is there anything too hard for him? Because if we don't have anybody else asking us that question, then we may find ourselves going down paths that we don't want to go down. And there's no shortage of people that are asking difficult questions these days, right? I want to tell you something. I want to share some information with you for you to celebrate with us as a church. So in light of the Supreme Court ruling from a couple of weeks ago um, regarding life, uh, our 
our elders decided this past week that what we were going to do was we were going to intensify our efforts to support pro-life ministry events. And so one of the things that our elders have done is reached out to several faith-based ministries in town that are working uh, on on life-based ministries and are offering a significant sum of money, more than $15,000, ranging in these partnerships from people that have that initial moment where they find out they're pregnant and the fear that may come with that from an unplanned pregnancy to those who are choosing to, to, uh, to raise the children as parents, even though it was unplanned, all the way to those who are placing their children for adoption. Because when whatever that mother situation is, when she walks into that situation, I think the question she's asking is, I don't know if I'm up for this. I don't know that anybody's going to stand with me. What if I don't have what it takes? And we want somebody to lean into them that's going to say, hey, is anything too hard for our Lord? We want to support this. We've got another opportunity going on in the world. Several of you will be familiar with the name Dr. Stephen George with Asian Christian Academy. Uh, He was here a couple of weeks ago and preached and talked about how God uses them. I got an email from Stephen last week and said, hey, one of the things that they're working on is you've got a lot of pastors in the area that have never had professional training. And so they're using their graduates to train pastors out uh, in their part of the world that have not had a chance to go get formal training. So they're graduating people from their seminary and sending them out to train pastors. And he said, hey, here's what we're up against. We've got a two-year pastoral curriculum. It costs $400 per pastor to do that. Is there any way Grace Church would want to help? And so we gathered up resources. uh, And as a result of Grace Church, we've got more than 44 pastors who are going to get trained over the next two years to go spread the gospel in three different languages over in Asia. Because when people ask the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And they're saying yes, we want to lean in and have somebody in their life trained to say, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about our God. There is nothing too hard for our Lord. So we're trying to put that out there. And let me encourage you in this way, that when you and I find ourselves in that position where somebody's saying, there's just no way that you're going to lean in and say, hey, I've been where you've been, or I'm in it now, but here's what I keep tying into. Is there anything too hard for our Lord? And when you find yourself in a position where you're saying, the answer to that question is yes, or maybe so, then connect with somebody. Reach out to us. Reach out to our leadership team. Reach out to a community group leader. Reach out to a Bible study leader. Reach out to an ABF leader. We don't always have the answers, but you know what we can say? We can say, let me tell you about our God. There is nothing too hard for him. So we can lean into that. Because I've been where Sarah's been. Where you say, Lord, there's just no way. It doesn't even make sense. And all of a sudden, in my source of logic, I can come to the answer that say, yeah, something's too hard for him. But that's not my soul answering that. That's my logic. Because we find ourselves in this situation. Look with me, if you would, at verse 15. Sarah denied that she laughed, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Let me tell you, I think I would have done the same thing. Ever get your hand caught in the cookie jar? What's your first instinct? Wasn't me. I think Sarah feels exposed. I think Sarah feels embarrassed. I think Sarah felt all the things I felt out in the grasslands on that horse. I'm alone, I'm vulnerable, I'm exposed, I'm scared. I feel small. 
She just got called out on it. I got to tell you, I understand. The part that I always wrestled with was the second half of the verse. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. But you did. I think her first instinct was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And when, however we read the last half of that verse, we've got to filter it through what we know to be true about God, right? Love, perfection of love, giving, forgiving, gracious, merciful, all those things that we know to be true about it. We've got to filter that, those words through that. And I always thought, what, why, why, why does the Lord not let her off the hook? I'm telling you, I became convinced this week in preparing for today that I think that for the first time, the Lord maybe showed me why he did that. If you've ever got your hand caught in the cookie jar, what is your primary instinct to get out? And I think that she looked up and she's like, no, 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 I didn't do that. And Abraham was like, she didn't laugh, Lord, because he didn't hear it, right? Lord knew. And in that moment, I think this. This is the by faith chapter, right? By faith. Sarah, I want you to mark the day. If, if you just kind of slink away from this, I didn't laugh. Then your goal is to just get away and be out of the situation. But a year from now when you get pregnant, you might forget this conversation. So I think the Lord's words when he comes back and says, no, but you did laugh. If I could add a couple of words, which is a little bit scary, but I think it's the heart of the Lord in this. No, but you did laugh. And I want you to remember that you laughed because one year from now, when, you're, when you have a baby born, when I ask you the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord, you're going to have a different answer because I want to grow your faith and your trust in me and my ability to come through for you and do exactly what I say I'm going to do. Because your answer today, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is yes, maybe. And a year from now, your answer is going to be, no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And Sarah, I'm so committed to your faith journey, I want you to recognize the growth of where you were on this day from where you will be on that day. Now, that sounds a lot more like our Lord, doesn't it? I want to grow you. Take steps of courage. Place your faith in me. Watch me come through for you and fulfill my promises for you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. Which seems to capture the heart of this, right? Father of a possessed son talking to Jesus. Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Lord, if you could do anything, just please do that. I love Jesus' response. If you can, I wonder if he didn't say, hey, remember Sarah? If you can, and then he says, all things are possible for those who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. There is something that is so freeing about this response, right? I do believe, I do believe all this orthodoxy, I do believe all this is right, but putting it into practice can be really hard at times. Yes, I believe that you are perfect, you have all those perfections, but how I live that out is really, really hard. So yes, I believe, so help me over here in my unbelief. What a statement. I recognize some of you are probably here today and you're saying, I don't believe right now, so Lord, help me in my unbelief. And if you're here and you do not know him, 
what we would want you to know is there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to invite you into his family. And he did everything to make that possible. Through sending his son to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death we didn't want to die and walk out of a grave that we could have never done, that he might offer you and me life, having paid the wage of sin, which is death. He died in our place so he might offer us life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him, I would encourage you to start praying that now. Lord, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. And if you're here this morning and you do know the Lord, then that is the most honest prayer I think we can pray. Lord, I believe these things about you. Help me in my unbelief. I recognize that the way I act, the way I do, the way I respond doesn't always show that I actually believe all this to be true about you. But I do believe it's true about you. So Help me in my unbelief that I may live in that. And let's watch what God can do. Because when we get to this verse, and you may be familiar with it, Paul writes it, uses a benediction a lot. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think according to the power at work within us. Let's just be honest. You could not intensify that statement any more than Paul does. Can he do abundantly more? Yes. Can he do more abundantly? Yes. Can he do far more abundantly? Yes. So let's just start bringing our heart to him. Let's start bringing our heart to him. Lord, this is where I am. I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's step into it. Because I think that there's at least three lessons, at least, I'm, I'm sharing with you three lessons that I get from this story. Let's be honest, that when God calls you to an unknown path, it will be better than any path that you think you know. You can have your plans, but if God changes your path, thank him for changing your path because there's a better path. Your path isn't inferior, excuse me, your path isn't superior to his. His path isn't inferior. If he changes your path, he's changing you to a better path. And even if you don't know what that path is, you wanna be on the Lord's path. It's better than any path you think you know moving forward, which is why at 75, if God changes our plan, do we let him change our plans? I think there's a second one. When God makes a promise that seems impossible, ask yourself, is anything too hard for the Lord? God, you said you could work all things together for the good. I'm not seeing it. Here's your question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for him? Lord, you said that you would grow me in this, that you were gonna develop character and strength. Yeah, anything too hard for the Lord? It gets really scary when we're not sure of the answer anymore. If you start feeling like you're not sure of that answer, please reach out to us. Let somebody else start speaking that into your ear as well. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for the Lord? Because that's not a path you want to go down. It's not a path any of us want to go down. And then thirdly, when battling unbelief, rather than denying it, ask the Lord to help you through it. You know, the same Lord that could hear Sarah's internal laugh is obviously the same Lord that said, but you did laugh. And I don't think he condemns her for laughing. I think what he's saying is, let's be real about where you are today so that a year from now, we will see the measured growth. What a statement. So my real encouragement to you is that we would grab hold of these words, surround yourself by people that will ask you the same question and that will draw you into the Lord. We want to walk with you. Leadership, 
ABFs, community groups, men's studies, women's studies. We've got people serving in the children's ministry that are trying to ask that of your kids as well. It's part of the path of discipleship. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stonelight Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.